Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Ordinary Black Professionals. I'm Nicole. And I'm Stefan. And this is our first episode. So each week we'll be having open and real conversations, interviewing guests on the good and the bad of working in the city and being black professionals. Each week we'll be giving a black perspective on what it's like having a career, starting your own business and just general everyday life. Mm-hmm. And we want our podcast to be conversational natural yeah we want to bring the audience with us and we just want to have an open conversation we want to um talk about topical events as well things that are happening in society things that's going on like the black lives matter movement the uh global pandemic and other topical events that may be going on at, at any particular time as well let's start with introducing ourselves so we're in our late 20s. Yeah. We're married. Yeah. Uh, we were married last year, summer 2019. We had a really nice wedding. Yeah. So we're newlyweds. Yeah. I don't know if we're still counted as that, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we've been together now for over eight years. And oh, we met at uni, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, we did. We did. We met in, well, I was in my second year of uni and you I were was in, in my third year. Yeah. Yeah. At, at, a, at a charity event. Mm. And um, we're both a black Caribbean of Caribbean descent. Yeah. And uh, both born and bred in London. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm from Northwest London. And I'm from South London. We're both consultants, not recruitment consultants, or we're not doctors either. We're not intelligent enough for that. I am a management consultant, and Stefan is a technology consultant. And essentially, all we do is help companies solve their problems. But all of that is for another episode. We're not going to go into too much detail about that now. For now, Stefan, how did you become a technology consultant? What's your journey? Yeah, my journey. Um, I've always had this interest in um, IT. I was always good at in school, all that stuff. So when I reached uni, I was just you know studying computer science, learning uh, programming and you know, doing my best, getting grades and all that stuff. But I had no idea of what I really wanted to do in IT. Okay, that's one of the questions I was going to ask you. What did you want to be as a child? Boy. I So, you you know, you used to have these tower computers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I used to take the case off and start playing around with the internals of the computer. And I used to, like, swap out CD drives and stuff like that, like, as a child. I thought, oh yeah, I'm really into uh, I hard IT hardware. So I thought, yeah, that's what I'm going to be doing later at, at uni. So when I started looking through the uni course, I started looking for IT hardware courses. Yeah, and okay. but that's not what I ended up doing. I ended up doing the computer science sort of more software based course. Okay. So you always knew IT was the route for you. I knew IT. Didn't know what in IT. IT is a real so field. do you know what you almost sound like you know those people who go into medicine and they're like oh i always knew i wanted to be a doctor yeah you always knew it ran in my blood i always wanted yeah. to be a doctor but they don't it's know the what, whether thing. they're going to be a brain surgeon yeah or a or, gp or, or a like, <laughs> yeah working pediatrics or obsangini or whatever it is yeah they yeah. just know that they want to do medicine yeah that's all i knew and i knew that at uni and then at one point um i did two things 
I had a summer internship at a media company where I did uh, IT support. And I sort of realized then I had a, had a good time, learned a lot, but it's not something I want to do as a career. And that was in London? Yeah. So the question is then, were there black people in the office? Boy. I think I remember one. Wow. And this is a... Stefan doesn't want to name the company, but this is a big, like, global organisation. Yeah. It wasn't any small kind of company at all. Yeah, I think I remember one off the... Yeah. That's it, really. <laughs> That's the thing. But I feel like... When you work in an office, <laughs> when you work in the city, or, or it just in any office, you and your black person, or you know, an ethnic minority, you know where the others are. Mm. Yeah, I tell you what, because I did a summer internship, there were other um, sort of students there with me okay. who who did that. There was a bunch of us, and there were other black students who were doing the summer internship as well. Not in IT with me, but they were doing other things. Um, but of the senior people or the people who were sort of employees that are already there, boy, probably just one okay, I can remember. Yeah. So I did that. I realized IT support, great, but I can't do that for the rest of my life. That's not sort of the path I want to go down. So um, went back to uni. The year after that, um, we're looking to do, I did a sandwich year as part of my course. So, what made you decide to do that? Well, I just thought, for me, it was the right decision to do. I, w I knew I wanted to work in IT, so the best way to do that is give myself a little boost to get into whatever industry I wanted to get into and um, and do a sandwich year. I thought it would help my prospects of getting a graduate job. Sounds interesting, because some people, um, because they just want to graduate and they're really keen to get out of uni, won't do a sandwich year because they want to do their three years, bang yeah. it out and move on to the next thing. There were definitely some people that made that decision and they came out just fine too. You know, they, did, they didn't do a sandwich year and they came out, got their graduate job and off they went. But, um, but I, I don't think, know, for me, I didn't feel that way. Yeah, I think for me, like, if I think of people who do a sandwich year, it's almost like a guaranteed grad job at the end. That's uh, not guaranteed. No way. That's how I think of it as like you go and work in whatever company it is, I know Kellogg's, and after the year of working there, they just say, oh, okay, yeah, come back after you've graduated uni, we'll give you a grad job. Easily like in the door. Yeah. Like sorted. Nah, that it was it was a it's quite a stressful experience actually. Um, but what, yeah, what I mean, what part is stressful? Well, Looking for the job or actually being there? Both. Well, first I was looking for it, but to find it, um, they had this little career division in my IT department who brought in companies to give us little presentations on why we should apply to do a sandwich over there. So we had companies, big companies like Experian and small, also smaller companies that were from the local area. And um, one them bidding for you, basically. Well, I wouldn't say that, but they put their, <laughs> their they put their two cents in. But um, one, one other company came in, consultancy, and what they said interested me more because uh, they said that as part of the job, we get booked out on different projects and I will deliver IT systems for different companies in different places across the UK. And I thought, oh, wow, that, that is what I want to do because all I know is I want to do IT <laughs> at that particular point in time <laughs> and I just want to do it everywhere for everyone and so that sounds good yeah um so I applied there and luckily I got in but you know I applied many places other places to their competitors I didn't get in it was probably it was it was the only offer I got so I took what I got um and not everybody got an offer so if you didn't get a placement offer sandwich year placement offer you're doing your third year. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, there's no alternatives. Um, yeah, so went there. And yeah, as I said, it was a stressful experience. But um, there was there was good times and bad times. But at the end of it, um, my experience started getting better at the end. And there was a big sort of decision at the end where the company tells 
each student who's on placement year from all these different universities whether they're going to offer them a graduate position or not. See, this is what I was saying before. When you do a sandwich year, you kind of, I don't know, it's just get a step in the door to getting that grad job. Yeah. That much desired grad job that everyone wants to get when they leave uni. It gives you, it, I feel like it gives you one more opportunity than you would have had if you just went to uni into the third year. Yeah. You, you, you've done a year where you sort of, met the people you've learned inside and I, th- I feel like even if you don't get offered a job when you do go back to uni do your third year and apply for jobs again you've got something under your belt you've got something 100%. on your cv you've done a year in on, on placement you've got something else that differentiates you from yeah the other students yeah yeah definitely graduates. definitely yeah. and the thing is you know it gives you options and i think any time that you have options in life that is always a good thing because you have the option of you know kind of doing that placement year and if you're fortunate enough to get a place um and then if you're fortunate enough again to get offered a job you've got the option of whether you take that job whether you not take that job whether you look for other graduate um schemes or jobs whatever it is you've just got a bit more options to play with yeah so yeah so you um got offered a so they, they had so, to make yeah. a decision. They made a decision. Um, I got offered a, a graduate job, and I was really happy about that. I took it straight away. <laughs> yeah, <you laughs> signed the contract that. straight away. Uh, oh, so you actually had to th- sign the contract. Yeah. Okay. So how? What? So you couldn't really turn them down then? No, you could turn them down. You got you got the offer. You could re- you could reject the offer and say I don't want to come here. There were some You've people already that did signed that, the actually. contract. No, I hadn't signed the contract when they gave me the offer. They gave me the offer, oh, gave me a contract, okay. said, you can come back after you graduate. And then um, I took it. Right, right, right. On the condition that you got, got a 2-1 first, 2-2, what was the condition? Um, I think it was like a, on the condition I got uh, the minimum requirement to actually apply for that job um, if I was a graduate. I think at the time it was a 2-1. Okay. At the time. Um, so yeah, I got in, and um, and so I was really happy. Uh, but on that whole year of that internship, I didn't like use any particular special skills, or I, I was like using skills that I learned at uni, how to program and things like that. So I still, at that point, didn't know what in IT I wanted to do. I didn't know whether I would like the company that I got an offer with, but I took it anyway and said to myself, I can turn it down later if I need to, or if somebody else gives me an offer, or if I miraculously learn something, you know, in the next year of uni. Yeah. Went back to uni, um, got my degree, and nothing had changed. <laughs> I went back to that company. So question, yeah. did you ever apply to other grad jobs? I did not. Why? Um, you didn't give it as I said earlier options were always good and you didn't give yourself any options uh, well I'd, I had the one option on the table I decided to stay with it and I think partly was my experience the year before when I was applying for the internships and I didn't get any offers from all the companies I applied for yeah. and the the process for applying was difficult for me it was difficult and I just thought to myself I'm trying to get this degree I'm really trying hard, trying hard to get this two one. I've got a job on the on the table. Let me not bother yeah. applying for any of. The, I'm, I'm just gonna not have that stress. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I took it and I went back to that company, and that's sort of where my sort of career started, because I went back and that's when I started um, turning into this technology consultant that I am today. Right. Okay. Because the company you you worked at. Um, that's what they kind of focused on, like technolo- different technologies and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Consultancy that delivered like different technologies for different customers. And um, it just, it all that mattered of what the customer wanted and we made it work really. And what sort of size are we talking about this company? Global, yeah, really big. Um, yeah, so I went back there. And what sort of like pay and stuff? Like don't, you know, have to say like the number, but was like a typical grad salary or was it like higher or 
um, entry level grad salary or was it below average or above? I think it's maybe mid mid to high for a graduate. I'm not really sure. Uh, I think depending on the size of the company, right, the graduate salaries can be um, standard quite high or yeah. if it's a small that's, company then you'll be like in the low 20s that's or just true. below there that's true. so and it's hard you, to say that's true and then you've got some like strategy consulting companies where they're yeah. paying grads like 40 to 50k right from the get-go yeah it wasn't that much <laughs> so i went back there and um yeah started learning these consult these uh, technology consulting skills and I also started learning a skill that would sort of carry me through the job market. And um, I started learning a lot more about infrastructure, servers, and I started realizing that my skills and the, my interest was going more in that direction. Right. And um, so all the stuff in the cloud, servers, um, how uh, websites run in the back end and all that sort of stuff is where my focus was. And then my focus started shifting from that into uh, automation. And um, and so I picked up a skill that um, some people refer to as maybe DevOps skills. Um, some people hate that term, but basically I, I picked up um, some automation engineering skills. Okay. And I guess, is it true that if you work in IT, that's where the money's at? Because that's, <laughs> that's what I was told growing up. Everyone always like, get into IT, get into IT. That's where the money's going to be. Is you that true? What? Or is my, that... Yeah, I mean, lies our black myth. parents told us that. My my parents, they always pushed me towards IT. They did think, oh, it's the future. It's oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah. You time. hear that one as well. Yeah. Or, or, or what people say a lot of is, you're always going to have a job if you work in IT. <laughs> have you not heard that one? You're always going to have a job if you work in IT. Uh, I mean, I've not heard that one, but in some not? ways it's true. <laughs> in some ways, yeah, it is true. Yeah. And unless unless you work in IT and you're actually working to automate, like your job or something like that, or like automate, like create automation so other people don't need to, yeah, have a job. So um, yeah, I, I picked up those skills, um, and and cloud engineering skills as well. So I started learning how to use the Amazon Web Services cloud, and um, and then, well, project after project came, just as the, just as they promised, and I started. Um, I, I went there for a few years, just delivering for different customers throughout the years. What kind of clients? Like what industries? Oh, banks, a lot of the time. Um, if not bank, I did um, uh, hospitality companies. I did um, retail. Um, it's like a, a wide of range yeah. of industries. it didn't matter what industry it was because the technology is not that different across industry well this is a thing um and we'll talk about this more in like upcoming episodes around like consulting and things mm. like that what it involves them. but i find that when you have a particular skill set and you move around to different you know clients and do different projects it's really the same thing again and again and again. And there's like slight nuances and complexities depending on the project and the client. But ultimately, it's the same. Like, like there's not much, there's not much difference in it. And, um, you know, each client will act like their problem is unique and rare. And, you know, as you get more and more experience in the game, you realize it's just not like the case. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah, so I did that for a few years. And then um, after that, I decided I wanted to become a contractor because I felt like I had these skills that, again, I could be my own consultant this time and I could work for all these companies under my own okay. sort of reputation. So, like, explain how contracting works for people who don't know. Yeah, um... It, what what is a contractor like? Some people may not know what that is. It's like an independent consultant, independent um, self-employed worker, who um, who offers his services as a business uh, or as or as an individual to another company, and says, 
right i've got these skills i have this experience that you may not have in your own company within your own employees or on your project and um i can help you in in, in whatever way you need and uh th these companies do need some specialist skills in certain areas um not always technology-based specialists so a lot of contractors i've met are like uh management uh, project yeah. management um uh, business analysts, all yeah. that sort of stuff, right? Range of different um, um, or, or sometimes these companies, they, you know, they've got the skills already. They've got lots of business analysts, but they just don't have enough. They just need one more and they can't, they don't have the time to hire someone. It takes a month for them to come off of their current contract where they work, you know, so a contractor could come in tomorrow. And so you just bring somebody in to help you get through a certain time period or yeah. certain milestones. And um, and yeah, you, you, the contract is basically uh, an agreement between you and that company saying, um, I'm going to work with you for this period of time and we're going to deliver X, Y, Z. And once that's done, the contract is up and you can renew it, extend it. But uh, yeah, that contract's done. And the important thing about being a contractor is you can... Um, not a guaranteed job, basically. <laughs> yeah, you're self-employed. So you can come into yeah, so you can come into work on the Friday and be told, sorry, on the Monday and be told kind of Tuesday afternoon that that's it, your gig's up, time for you to leave, um, and it's up for you to kind of find that next job that you're looking for. And I think, um, this will probably be, you know another podcast episode. It'd be good for you to speak about your experiences of being a contractor and being black and all of that stuff that that entails. Because I think there's a lot of misconceptions around what a contractor is and, and, and how much they earn and things like that. So it'd be yeah. good to kind of dive into that a little bit more and, and talk about, um, yeah, the good, the bad and the ugly and some of the hard facts and truths about being a contractor. Yeah. It's not as, it's not as easy or as, you know, as people think it is. And I think maybe people, you know, you don't earn as much money as you think it is uh, either. Yeah. So I did that and then after that I went back into being an employee again. Why did you decide to do that? Um, it it started to become difficult to be a contractor. The market was heavily flooded with people with my skills, contractor skills, and um, the government at the time was changing the law oh, yeah. to make it more difficult for uh, companies to hire contractors because there are some contractors you know, they're meant to be there, as I say, for a certain period of time. But there's some contractors that are in one place for 10 years. Yes. I've, and, I've um, worked with contractors who have been in the company for years. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not how it works in that. If you're there for that long doing one job, then there is an argument that you're not actually a contractor. You're much more you're of an employee. You're a perm employee. employee. Yeah, 100%. And... Um, and that's the reason why the government was changing that law. Yeah. And so um, a lot of companies were avoiding contractors at that point. So in order to make it easy for myself and bring a bit more stability to my life, I decided to look again for permanent employee jobs. And um, yeah, so now I decided to, to take up a job working for a product company. So consultancy is different because you go around to different customers the customer says um, oh I have this problem you come up with a solution you recommend it to them and you implement it um, but product is different instead we make a product um, improve it and we just sell it as sell as much of it as possible yeah <laughs> and my job now is still a consultant but to uh, talk to the customers who have bought the product and um, get them to get the most out of it, make the most value of our product so that um, they think it's amazing, they continue to renew the license on it, yeah, and they um, come back again and again. So, okay. um, yeah, my job as well can also be about just as a consultant, um, understanding their organization and how they work and positioning the product in a way where it's works for different companies in different ways okay yeah and yeah so, that's there's, it, really. so there's still that variety there um that 
I guess the quote-unquote like traditional consulting gig has. Yeah, I do a little bit of consulting now, um, and I think the longer I continue doing working in the product company, I'll probably do a lot more consulting. Yeah. Um, but the the focus is really on the technical value that the product gives, and the more technical value it gives, the more you can position business value as well. And it's all really about maximizing business value. That's where the money is. Okay. So that's my sort of career story. Um, do you want to give your journey? Took a slightly different route than you, and I did A-levels. So I did English literature, maths, history, and economics. And I did maths and economics so I could be an investment banker because my dad told me that makes lots of money. And then I did history and English lit just in case I wanted to be a teacher. And I was always good at English and history. So I also thought that would be a good okay. a good fit. The two different sides of the scale there, investment banker and teacher. Yeah. Yeah. So... I was leaving myself wide open for options, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I quickly realised I wasn't very good at doing A-level maths. So I dropped that subject and just stuck with economics, English lit and history. And then went off to university to do English literature. Okay. And focused on that for, for four years. And whilst I was at uni, I did a year abroad in Spain as well. Okay. Why did you choose to do English literature? Because I decided to go for a subject that I I really enjoyed and was good at. And I had always enjoyed English lit growing up. So I thought I would do a subject that I enjoyed. And also my my dad also said to me that English lit is a respected subject and it'd be a respected degree, which would open up doors for me when I was ready to graduate. So I thought it'd be a strong, solid subject to pick. Okay, all right. And you said you did a year abroad. What were you doing there? Studying. And I worked a bit as well as a babysitter. I did lots of odd right. jobs when I was in <laughs> when I was in Spain, um, mainly looking after other people's kids. What you used in English or Spanish or what? It just English lit. Just studying. So I was studying English literature over in Spain. All the texts, all the books, everything was all in English. I was right. just doing it in Spain. So was the curriculum different um yeah it was so we had some more kind of spanish literature but other than that it was mainly the same we did probably a lot more american literature as well um but it was, it was the same i would say the only difference is that i did a lot more different subjects so with my degree in Eng- in england i each term i only had two core modules Whereas in Spain, it was broken up into smaller chunks. So I was studying a lot of different types of literature in a term. Right. Okay. So how was that? How was Spain? What, why did you choose to go to Spain? Why Spain? Well, I actually chose to go Portugal to begin with. And because of a few mix, mix-ups that the university made, I couldn't go. I decided to not go Portugal anymore. And at the last minute, swapped my option and decided to go over to Madrid and live over there and why did I do a year abroad to begin with why not (laughs) it was literally that it was like why not do it it was my cheapest year at uni because I don't know if they still do it now but I was I had the Erasmus grant so I didn't have to pay anything to my home university the Erasmus gave me a grant I think it's like three thousand or four thousand pounds essentially was free money and I don't think I took out a student loan that year because I just used that Erasmus grant to pay for me to live abroad. So it was like by far my cheapest year at uni and working over in Spain paid me really well. So when I was looking after people's kids for four or five hours in the evening, I was getting paid 100 euros. Okay. So I was getting paid really good money and yeah. I was doing that every week to look after like two kids. So it was very, very, it was such a good year. And I had a few jobs teaching English as well, which again paid me like 70 euros cash in hand for a couple of hours of work. Right. Okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. It was, it was a sweet gig. 
<laughs> um, so yeah, I did that, did my, finished up my degree. Well, actually, before I graduated from uni in my final year, I decided to apply for loads and loads and loads of grad jobs because I realised then that, well, I thought that to kind of make it in the city or to be somebody, I had to work in a large organisation and the bigger, the better. So I went and applied for hundreds of grad jobs and I was looking in the area of procurement and supply chain. All right, so you've now gone from teacher to investment banker and now you're talking about procurement and supply chain. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did you end up in looking at procurement and su- supply chain? Do you know what? I don't even know. I think, I don't know how I got to procurement and supply chain. I think I was just looking at different companies and seeing what grad jobs they offered, clicking, clicking, clicking around, realised I don't want to do marketing, I don't want to do HR and just kind of stumbling across procurement and supply chain. It's sounding a bit interesting, doing a bit more research and deciding to settle on that. So essentially, what it is for the listeners out there that don't know, it's how you will procure um, certain items. So for example, if you're McDonald's, how do you procure the potatoes that will eventually turn into the chips that people will eat? So that contract that you have with that particular farmer and then that supply chain is everything you need to make sure that potato ends up to in the in the mcdonald's that are sending the um that are given selling the the chips to the to the customers so that complete chain of how you how that potato kind of goes from the farmer to the building that's going to turn it into the actual fries to where it's then going to get transported from the from the frozen fries over to the um to the mcdonald's place that's then fries it and sells it to the customer fresh so looking at all of that the procurement of the potato then the supply chain of that potato to eventually to the mcdonald's store but how did you come across procurement that's what i'm saying i actually i can't i don't know i don't remember (laughs) so i think i think what it was was me just looking at random graduate jobs, because I was adamant I must work in a big company, just logging onto a a website for a big organization, clicking around and just stumbling across it where it said procurement and supply chain. And I was like, yeah, that sounds interesting. Right. It was literally just that, because I had absolutely no idea what that industry was. Let's just go back for a second. Why, again, did you say you wanted to work in a big company? What was it about that? The prestige. The prestige. The prestige. There's something, when you tell someone, you if you say to someone, oh, I work at Deloitte, people will be like, ooh, wow. That's, that's pretty impressive. You work for a big four. And so I wanted that, like, prestige. I wanted to go around being like, oh, yeah, I work for this top company. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the only reason I wanted that. I wanted to be able to say, oh, yeah, you know, I work for a company and that's, you know, multi-million dollar company, it's global around the world. And also that's all I'd known. Both my parents work for big, big companies. So in my mind, I also had to do the same thing. And working for a big company gave you more stability and job like job assurance and things right. like that. Okay. And okay. and yeah. most importantly, that's where I thought the money was at. Because I had in my mind through doing research that the grad jobs are offering, you know, 28, 32K. And I was like, I have to earn that. Anything less won't do. Okay. So you set yourself a bar. So I set myself a bar. Yeah. And applied to many, 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 many different types of jobs. So I applied for Kellogg, Sky, Unilever, Mondelez, BHS. You name it, I applied there. Okay. Got through to a few of the assessment centres. So in the end, I don't know how many I got to the top of my head, but it must have been 10 plus assessment centres. So I was I was always the bride, but I never got the job. So I was always the bridesmaid, mm-hmm. but never quite the bride. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and unfortunately, with procurement and supply chain, they tend to only hire like one or two people so that again meant that I was never quite got in so they'd have like 10 people I remember 
um, interviewing at Kellogg's. I think they had like 20 or 15 people at the assessment center and they were only hiring two. So the odds were just not in my favor and I didn't get the job. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really hard, really hard. Um, And then again, like the, the processes and stuff, they're so long and time consuming. So so yeah there's some industries or some areas of work that are just harder to get into for that reason they just don't need as many people yeah yeah and so therefore the the, the barrier to get in is just so mad high high and difficult yeah and the competition is still there's still a lot of people coming out of uni that are looking for those type of jobs most of them will not won't get them i think like being um a solicitor or something is similar oh yeah 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 well. to be a solicitor is mad hard yeah like the the number of people who do law degrees and, and, and want to move into that field but at the end they never actually do mm. because they just can't get a place yeah i think the problem i had was that i was just mad bougie because i was adamant that i was not going to work for below 28k so i was like i i came out of uni or i was in the final year of uni i thought well i have an english degree so therefore i'm obviously worth 28k no experience (laughs) no experience in the working world so therefore they must pay me 28k so i kept so i was bougie and did not want to work my way up so after applying for lots and lots and lots and lots and lots different jobs my parents and and leaving uni and not having anything my parents said to me you know just go for something that's lower level and work your way up and I just outright refused I was like no (laughs) (laughs) this is not an option um so eventually I realized I had to apply for smaller companies because the big (laughs) ones just were not hiring this great talent that I had so and that's yeah. a real that's a real thing though because a lot of people leave uni um, and they think they're the thing and they think they're amazing they think they're the and shit they feel good you know <laughs> you just got your first class or whatever and you feel yeah the world is my oyster you know everybody will want me i'm just the best thing out here best uh, thing and there's nobody else bread. like me and i tell you what there are many other people like you <laughs> <laughs> as i learned at the assessment centers people who are super competent as well i worked um once and uh working with some like young people coming in and grads and I remember a manager saying to them that your mum tells you that you're amazing (laughs) right but you're not (laughs) (laughs) that always I always remember that because it was just so funny him telling them that and they were just they were shocked to hear that I bet they were what? what do you mean? What, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, my mum told me this morning that I was great. <laughs> so, yes. So I started applying to kind of smaller, smaller companies. And that also proved quite, quite difficult. As they weren't too happy with the fact that I had an English literature degree. So that was that was challenging because as I was trying to again get into this procurement getting to this supply chain a lot of the smaller companies wanted you to have business degrees economics degrees degrees that were more analytical not not an English degree and so a lot of the times when I'd go to the interviews they would say to me oh you sure you don't want to do marketing or is this a stopgap for becoming a teacher or are you sure this is the kind of work that you really want to do is it not journalism or something else so again, this degree, this English degree, which my dad told me would open up so many doors when I left uni, it actually put you in a was box. actually putting me in a box and was hindering me mm. because I wasn't trying to become a teacher, a teacher or mm. journalism or whatever is the quote unquote typical degrees that English students do. Right. This even comes down again. That's another form of sort of diversity. There's diversity of thought as well, and yeah. the type of people that you higher yeah and 100%. they were just not having it they were just like an English degree person cannot be applying for my job yeah we want someone who we want people who are all analytical thinkers and who think in this particular one way, type, this one particular which way which is how I think and yeah. how I think everybody else should think everyone else should just think just like me yeah to be able to work in this particular area yeah. absolute 
nonsense, complete bullshit. Which is a common theme that I've seen throughout my whole Same. Career. Same. I see it all the time. All the time. So after a lot of knockbacks, <laughs> I finally did get a job. Wasn't in a big organization at all. Nope. It was in a three person company. I was a third person and it was a small tuition company that was local to where I live. So the ambitions of me working in the city (laughs) with my suit, doing my thing on my 28K was not... That went away. That went away. (laughs) That was not my life. Wasn't on 28K. Wasn't a decent salary, but it wasn't 28K. Wasn't in the city. Never wore a suit. (laughs) took the bus to work at least it was local it was local save money on travel (laughs) so I did that um yes it was a small tuition company I was the office manager there so I did office manager activities some admin taking payments from parents and things like that after about three months of working there I was eventually let go because the company couldn't afford to keep me on anymore so I was right back at square one looking for a job. And in the end, I ended up being unemployed for about three months, which is not a long amount of time in the grand scheme of things. But at the time, felt like the longest three months ever. Because mm. remember, I had just spent pretty much the whole of my final year applying for grad jobs, going to interviews, just being like proper chomping at the bit to then finally get a job, to then now having to go back to searching all over again. When... I felt like I had just done that. And when even I, you know, I was struggling even just to get retail, like just to get retail jobs or temp admin jobs and things like that. So going back. And well, which is funny because your CV. I'm the king you know, of retail. Is, well, the queen of re- retail. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you've done a lot of retail. Yeah, Waterstones, what, what John Lewis, 16. 16. Waterstones, John Lewis. But at that time, you still Loads couldn't jobs. get anything. Nothing. So, yeah, that was a really tricky, hard time. And again, my expectations of working in the city just massively, I just wasn't even applying for jobs like that. I was applying for jobs that are much more local, um, small scale, kind of more junior jobs so I could work my way up. Eventually, after three months, I did get a job working in another small company. Um, I think it was like around North, North London side. Uh, basically providing different uh, transcription services to to NHS trusts wasn't a job that I enjoyed. I was only there for about six six months or so. Mm. And during those six months was actively looking to leave. <laughs> <laughs> looking to go, looking to work somewhere else. And it that was, was your first taste of like um, consultancy? Yeah, because it was going into different NHS trusts and and kind of encourage them, encouraging them to work differently and to adopt another way of working to be able to help them be more, well, the idea was to help them be more efficient in the long run. And during this time, you said to me, oh, well, your company is looking for people because their grad scheme for later on that year is going to open up. Yeah. And I can't remember if I was umminaring, whether I was, I think I was. I don't think I was 100% sure whether it was whether consulting was for me and whether that was something I wanted to do. But in the end, I thought I'd just give it a go because why not? And applied, you know, got through the different stages, eventually got to the assessment centre. And I remember being in, once I'd gone to the assessment assessment centre because I took a day off work, being in work and I got a missed call from the company. And I thought, oh no, why are they calling me to tell me that I didn't get the job? oh gosh this is what am I going to do and look for more jobs it's going to be awful I haven't got the job now you know feeling all disappointed <laughs> so then on my lunch break I'd always make sure I leave the office on my lunch break I decided to listen to the to the voice message and on the voice message the woman was like oh congratulations you want to offer you a job and I was like wow oh my gosh oh my gosh jumping up and down because like a big company that my dreams are coming true because <laughs> I was like this is a big organization that I was after and I'm finally gonna get the job it was the best day the best day I think I called so yeah listen to the rest of the voice messages and I called my mom I called you it was just it was just the best <laughs> a year later after 
you know, applying and everything and having the goal of working for a big company, it had finally come true. Mm. And I think, you know, a few days later, I came back into the office and I handed in my notice and I was like, see ya, peace, (laughs) (laughs) deuces, I'm out of here, (laughs) on to bigger and better things. Um, So yeah, eventually moved on to that company. Uh, work there, I was there for about two and a half, two and a bit years, working primarily in financial services, um, in, in one financial services company and moving around to different projects and doing work there. And I did have a good time overall and, and, and grew and learned lots of different bits and pieces about consulting, but eventually made the move to go to a smaller consultancy company. Which is again, which, you said you'd never which I would never do because I wanted the prestige of having a big name. <laughs> which I now grew up, re- you got older. Didn't I grew you? up, I got older. I now realise that just means nothing. So, yeah, I I decided to take the plunge, moved for a much 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 smaller company. Company I'm at now had you know just over a hundred hundred people compared to the company that I was at before, which had hundreds of thousands of people globally around the world this one is much you know as I said only just over a hundred people and yeah it's a completely different experience and have definitely in the same way I did in my previous company in this current company have learned and grown and developed in lots of different ways um, in lots of different industries so, so what's the type of things that you did? Well, at my current company. At both. So a lot of business analysis work, uh, project management, uh, lead in my current company now, I'm leading teams, um, the diversity and inclusion lead, as well as being my day job as being a management consultant. Uh, yeah, so it's just it's just very diverse and different. And it's not what I, it's funny because when I first left uni, as I said, I did want that big grand grad job. You know, I was going to be working in the city with a known company. Like if you tell them the name, they're like, oh yeah, I, you know, I know exactly what that is. It's funny to see where I am now because if I was to tell people the name of my company, most people wouldn't have heard, yeah. like, no, hadn't, haven't heard of it. But um, why did you leave the big company for the small one then? I felt like... I wanted to be somewhere where I wasn't just one of many. And I wanted to be in a company where people knew who I was, people knew my name, and I felt like I had more responsibility and ownership over my work. And I found for me personally, being in a big company it, at t- on projects where there was 50, 60, 80 people, it just felt like I was one of many and I was just giving a slither of a piece of work to do in a massive puzzle. Right. Whereas now in a company that I'm in, you can be, you know, junior and still have a lot of responsibility and you can still, you know, be managing a team and, and have a lot of ownership on and autonomy over something you're doing because it is just so small. They haven't got time to wait and and kind of say, oh, well, let's wait until you get up to manager level before you can handle that. They just can, they will trust and give you those opportunities a lot earlier. And Another reason why I moved is I wanted to move somewhere that was just a little bit, that was not as hierarchical. Now, everywhere has hierarchies because senior managers will do senior manager work and things yeah. like that. But somewhere where it just didn't feel like so rigid. It wasn't so much like, well, you're only an analyst, so therefore you can only do A and B. But a senior manager or manager can do all of this other stuff. I wanted to feel a little bit more flat in hierarchy, which is what, from my experience, um, or at least at my company, that's what I get. It's a bit more responsibility and then it's not as hierarchical. Right. So yeah, that's that's basically the reason why I decided to move. I would never rule out a big company. So I would never, I know some people move to a small company and they go, I will never move to a Deloitte or to a KPMG. No, 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 it's, no, it's too big, it's too big, I'm small. You know, small company and boutique consultancy through and through. Mm. For me, I just don't feel that way. I would happily go back and work at a big company. Yeah, I've heard people say that as well. I've heard people say I only work for startups as well. I don't feel that way. Yeah, 
you got because you have to think about the whole package. I have to think about money, where I'm going to be, what what does that consultancy want from me? All that, the, everything is taken into consideration. What level am I going in? Mm-hmm. If I'm going into a big, if I'm going into Deloitte as an MD, yeah, then maybe that sounds like a sweet gig because I'm, you know, I'm an MD level than being junior. So it's all just you have to take everything into consideration. I never say never. You know, who knows where you'll be in like 30 years time or 10 15 years time whatever it is so i would never say never to not going back to a big company right just at the moment right now a small company works for me okay but yeah that's my that's my journey and in the weeks you'll get to hear more and more about Stefan and i's journeys and careers and a bit more about where we've come from yes so i think We've heard a bit about our careers, our introduction, about us a little bit more. In more episodes coming up, um, we're going to hear about other people, our guests as well. And also our experiences, like we've talked about our career journey, but let's go into more detail on specific areas and the job hunt you did and and, all of that stuff. The difficult times, but also lots of good times. And there's probably some great you know, learning opportunities that we could share that we learn. Yeah, definitely. Career. And then again, just given that undertone of this being black in these spaces as well. Definitely. Which you is know. probably going to be a big theme of our podcast. Yeah. A big one being, you know, what it's like to be, for me as a woman, being black and going into going into work of all my different hairstyles, different <laughs> reactions I get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely talk about that in, a, in an episode for sure. Okay. okay, so we will catch up with you all next week. Bye. Bye. If you have any questions or dilemmas, email us on ordinaryblackprofessionals at gmail.com or we can be found on Instagram and Twitter at ordinaryblackprofessionals. Also, don't forget to follow us, subscribe and leave a rating and comment. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.